Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to Blitzcast number 90. And Ed Hunt is back in the house. I promised you, everyone. People have been asking, you know, where Ed is. And I said he was taking a vacation around Christmas time with his family, with his friends. And he's back in the house, Ed. How was your vacation? Oh, it was outstanding, Alex. Uh, it's good to be back, though. I'm, uh, you know, loving football still. And uh, it was good to get a break in, though. Excellent. You, you've got an interesting story, actually, on vacation. I mean, you got some sun, uh, you, you swam in the ocean, and you got to meet an interesting person out there. I've, I've never had this luck, Ed. So usually I can stay pretty cool when I meet a football player, but I, I, I literally was sitting by the pool, and I said, oh, my God. And walked by me is this curly-haired guy, and he looked strikingly like Adam Sandler, and he looked a, a little bit bigger, a little bit heavier than I had remembered him in his movies. And he said, and he said, uh, I said, I said, he's, he just kind of said, hiya, pal, and kind of walked away. And it was the most Adam Sandler thing to say because it was like, he was kind of like calling me pal. I couldn't tell if it was like, you know, stay away from me or, you know, hey, you're my friend. But um, he kind of walked by, but it was, it was cool to see him. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I liked his movies when I was younger. I also love those movies. I mean, who doesn't like Adam Sandler movies? All right, let's let's move on to the national championship game. It's it's the first thing on tap on our podcast. Something that we want to cover. According to Bavada Sportsbook, Ed, the LSU Tigers are favored minus six and a half versus the Clemson Tigers. Look, that's disrespectful. Doesn't it seem like that? I mean, the Clemson Tigers are still. The national champions. They haven't lost a game last season. They haven't lost a game this season. I realize that LSU has been on fire. I mean, that offense put up ridiculous numbers against the Oklahoma Sooners, but Clemson, Clemson is a much better defense than the Oklahoma Sooners. I, see, when you said when you said no respect, I thought it was no respect for LSU only six and a half over Oklahoma. I mean, if you, I mean, over over, over, Clemson. over Clemson. Over Clemson. I mean, when you think about how what they did to Oklahoma, I mean, they absolutely destroyed Oklahoma. Now, granted, Oklahoma didn't play a lick of defense in that game, but still, LSU has faced numerous team after numerous team this year and beaten them. It started with Texas. It started with the SEC schedule. It went into the SEC championship, and now. Now it's in the playoffs, so I, I, I actually I'm actually going to take the over. I'm gonna I'm gonna take LSU and uh, you know I'm gonna lay the points. Clemson, here's what I want to get to, Ed. Clemson has a good secondary. This isn't the Sooners. I realize that LSU has three guys that are going to play in the NFL. That's Chase and and Jefferson and and Marshall. I, I get it. And they've got Joe Burrow and they've got the X Factor and the and the running back, the the short stature running back that's just been running wild out there. But the truth is, Clemson has a good secondary and they have Isaiah Simmons as well, the the do all linebacker that that can chase everyone from sideline to sideline. The Clemson had a really tough game against Ohio State. They showed that they can persevere and come back against a really good Buckeyes team. I mean, that game was, was out of hand, it, it looked like. And then they just came back. 
and they led that drive in the fourth quarter. Trevor Lawrence was at his best. Clemson has a lot of weapons, too. They've got Lawrence. They've got Travis Etienne. They've got T. Higgins, Justin Ross. It's just it really is amazing to me. I mean, you have to beat a champion, and to me, a champion has to be the favorite here. And Dabo Sweeney has been here as well, Ed. He's won a national championship before. He's been in a few of these games before. Ed Orgeron has not. Yeah, I, I think the problem with Clemson is is that they haven't really, even though they are undefeated, they haven't really had to beat anybody. Other than Ohio State. I, other than Ohio State. who? What are, what are their big wins? Look, obviously Ohio State was their biggest win of the season, and LSU has been here before. They, they've beaten three, four top ten teams, and, and they obviously took care of the Oklahoma Sooners as well. But, look, I'm, I'm going to take Clemson in this game. I, I think they're going to win it. I think it's still going to be a close game, but I'll take a touchdown here. I'm going with the golden boy, the, the golden arm. I'm going with Trevor Lawrence. As much as I love Joe Burrow as a prospect and what he's done – during his senior year. It's been an incredible run, but it's going to end here on January 13th. We're all going to see it. The Clemson Tigers are going to be dancing second straight national championship for the Clemson Tigers. I think I think if you were to take a photo for it to represent what this season has been, the 2019 to 2020 season, I think you would, you would take a picture of Joe Burrow and in that LSU offense, and that would be the picture of the season. I just can't see the LSU Tigers losing this game. All right, fair enough. Ed, let's get to the interview. Today we've got James Morgan on the podcast. Um, how are you doing today, James? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, man. Well, um, so we're going to go into some questions um, if you're ready. Um, we got uh, – I got got the first question for you. So we know that you've been invited to the Shrine game in Florida. What are you looking forward to? What do you want to show NFL teams? Sure. I think it's a great opportunity for me. Um, Coming from a a smaller school, I think the knock is always the competition, right? Not going against Power 5 teams, all that stuff. Being able to go to a game like this, I can showcase that I do have an NFL skill set against better competition. You know, I want to hopefully showcase the NFL teams, my arm strength, my accuracy, my anticipation, show that they're NFL caliber, and I'll be able to do that really well against the competition down there. Uh, James, where are you currently training for the NFL draft? Where are you at? So currently I'm in Tampa. I'm training with ASPI and Neil Murphy. Why did you decide to go with this specific uh, training facility instead of some other ones out there? You know, it has a lot of really great, uh, you know, scientific and uh, technological features, and it looks like a fantastic place. I've only started for a day, but just talking with Yo, um, you know, he really knows his stuff. They have a lot of great people there who really know, you know, the ins and outs of not only the combine drills, but, you know, your body movements and stuff like that, being able to um, figure out deficiencies and be able to counteract those with the exercises you do. Um, and like I said, I've only been on there for a day, but I already felt it's a fantastic program. Uh, it also enc- encompasses uh, the food, the nutrition aspect, uh, recovery, and training. So I'm very excited to get going with it. Uh, plus, you're going to be closer to St. Pete. Tampa and St. Pete are uh, close by. So, I mean, once once you uh, are done there, you're just 
It's a short drive to St. Pete to go to the Shrine game. Uh, James, uh, take me a little bit. Take me back a little bit. You were a four-star recruit coming out of high school. Why did you choose Bowling Green? So the main reason why I chose uh, Bowling Green was the system of offense that they ran and the coaching, too. Uh, at the time, they had Dino Babers, who's now at Syracuse, and then the OC was Sean Lewis, who's at Kent State. And just that Baylor system, being able to kind of rip the ball across the field, uh, really was something that I was excited about getting into. Um, additionally, they had a great quarterback who's currently on the Kent State, Kent State staff, uh, and who was a really good mentor in terms of watching him and developing under him. Uh, what was the main reason why you decided to transfer to FIU? Uh, what was it about that about Bowling Green that wasn't working for you? You know, um, ended up where Babers ended up leaving, going to Syracuse. There was a coaching change. Um, you know, it wasn't necessarily the best fit for me. And uh, to be honest, I just felt like to grow and get where I wanted to be, you know, and that being the NFL, um, I needed to make and ended up going to FIU and had a great uh, last two years, a fantastic opportunity for me. So can you tell me about your offense and scheme at FIU? Sure. Uh, so we were more of a pro-style system than I was at Bowling Green. Um, and the main thing I really liked about it was uh, the quarterback had a lot more control. We're talking about, like, protections, uh, hot adjustments, um, stuff adjust. Uh, being able to, you know, see the defense and make various reads based on the rotation, middle field open, middle field close. Um, so I really liked it. We were like a no-huddle system, but a lot of stuff at the line of scrimmage. We had a lot of different check plays, whether it be I call a play at the line, uh, or we had a call played in, or we had a play that was called at the line, and then I would give a dummy count. The coaches would check out of it. Sometimes I had the flexibility to check out of it. Um, but, yeah, it's just it was a great quarterback, a uh, great system for a quarterback, and I really, really enjoyed my time there with it. Awesome. Um, so can you tell me about your game against the Miami Hurricanes this past season? Sure. Uh, it was a great uh, win for our program. Um, you know, I can't really say enough about how much energy everybody in our team came out with for that game. And, um, you know, it was it was awesome. I think that everybody played as hard as they could. I uh, had a lot of motivation going into it. And uh, I think the biggest thing about that one, too, is that I think everybody in that locker room knew that we had it in us and we knew that we were capable of that and to be able to have that come to fruition and the you know all the hard work in the summer and everything when we weren't having the season that we necessarily wanted uh, um, I really speak to everybody on that team that we didn't give up and that we kept pushing and uh, got kind of signature wins for the program like that um, but it was incredible um, you know I was I was confident that we could do it and when it happened it was awesome awesome and uh so, am I noticing that game that Miami blitzed you pretty much all game? And uh, so, about your offensive line? Yeah, I, I can't say enough about those guys. You said it. They had uh, great schemes in, you know, with the different looks that they had and different ways of applying pressure. And then the players that they had on defense uh, were incredible, too. And so, I really can't say enough about uh, the great job that my line did. They played their tails off that whole game. I uh, didn't get sacked the entire game, and it's a testament to how hard they work, you know, both uh, in their skill set on game day and with the film preparation beforehand. Uh, I love those guys. Those are the guys I was closest with on the team, and they really showed up. Uh, the quarterback is always close to uh, the offensive line. That's just you You guys are, are always tied. Uh, yes, sir. I, I, you have to go to dinner with them after that game. I mean, you guys, 
had to uh, <laughs> have a, a good time. I mean, not a, it's not every uh, it's not every year or every week that FIU beats Miami. Yeah, no doubt about it. You know, and I think, like we said, we were confident in ourselves the entire year that we could play with anybody, and to be able to do that was great. But uh, certainly, yeah, I took them out, uh, got some dinner after that, hung out with them, you know, all that stuff. I had to. They did a great job for me. So. Let's talk about that last game at FIU, the, the bowl game in Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, tell me about that game against Arkansas State. I'm sure you, you would have loved to have come out on top, but just uh, elaborate on that game because you guys made a comeback in the second half. It certainly uh, fell short, but uh, talk about that game. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I would say that. You know, as a competitor, that really stings to not be able to finish that because you know, I did feel like we had the momentum coming back and you know we we're making some plays out there and ultimately I give my hats off to Arkansas State uh, they had a great program they played a real great game and we ended up not making enough plays to win and uh, that definitely hurts but um, you know I think that game and for all my game I, I have no regrets uh, I left it all in the field I prepared as hard as I could and I'm extremely proud of our guys because you know there had been situations earlier in the year where we had faced a deficit and you know you could kind of tell that the energy wasn't where it needed to be to be able to come back and win. And that game, I did not get that feeling at all. I felt like we got our butts off to the very end. And unfortunately, it didn't go the way it go the way that we wanted to. And uh, obviously, that stings. That really hurt me as a competitor being my last game and everything. But can't say enough about how proud I am of those guys for never giving up that entire game. And um, it kind of shows what our group was built of mentally. What are your main strengths on the football field, on and off the field? What do you bring to the table as a signal caller? Yeah, I think uh, one of the main things is leadership. Um, you know, I want to, by example, I want to be the absolute hardest worker um, on the field and off the field. Um, you know, I want to be able to inspire the guys, and I think I really do that uh, and have done a good job of that for my college career. Um going into that, or going along with that, is work ethic. Um, you know, like I said, I, I give it my all. Um, I love going into a game knowing exactly the plan, how we can schematically beat the defense. I'm able to, you know, feel really confident and go ahead and sling it. Um, so preparation for sure. Uh, and then just uh, on the field, I'd say that my arm strength, I have a great arm. Um, I'm ready to go ahead and sling it on an NFL field. Uh, and then just accuracy and anticipation. Because I have, you know, that arm, I can kind of, you know, if I see something opening up, I'm able to make that throw, um, kind of anticipate the window and then be accurate with it. So, um, I'd, I'd probably say those three things on the field, but, you know, more so just the work ethic and the leadership that I bring to a program. Good. Um, so how, how have you developed at reading the field as a quarterback? Yeah, sure. Uh, it kind of goes hand-in-hand with uh, the systems that I've been in, I would say, as well, because um, coming from the air raid system, it's a lot, uh, you know, it's a lot more basic concepts that you repeat over and you have great athletes on the outside, but sometimes it's just, okay, I'm going to take a shot. I know my guy's better than your guy, and let's, let's put it up. Uh, when I went to you where there was a lot more, you know, sophistication in terms of the reads and in terms of the post-snap stuff, I really felt like I developed a lot. And I'd say probably the biggest thing is just with, um, you know, the little details, like how much more information you're able to, um, you know, ascertain and becomes kind of part of your nature. When you study it and you see the little things, like, you know, maybe they rotate a certain way and you're able to kind of – something clicks in your mind to be able to uh, go to my seam, come back on the outside, based off of opposite where the rotation goes. Or, you know, you're able to see it's the cover two. I have five guys underneath the areas now are deeper. I have to maneuver the safeties, look them off, do that stuff. So um, it's, it's crazy how much uh, 
like little details made a huge difference for me, and I think that's probably the biggest development that my game went through uh, going to FIU. Uh, James, pre-snap, uh, what are the tendencies that you're looking for from the defense? Sure. Uh, well, I have a whole routine that I go through, and, um, you know, it's based off of the play, but kind of the, the main aspects of it are start with the safety, see if it's middle open, middle closed. Um, that's kind of the first thing. And then I need to identify key defenders based off of the play. Um, I need to identify the blocking scheme based off of, you know, potential rotation and who are blitz threats. Uh, so I, so at, or excuse me, at FIU, I would identify who I want the line to protect. You know, that tells me obviously things about if I'm hot, if it's a five-man protection, or uh, you know, various things about who the line has and who they don't have. So I can see kind of how windows will develop. Um, but all of that kind of, you know, it's it's, it's the, the job of the quarterback is to get all information packed into a quick process. And so for me, it'd be safeties, key defenders. What do I need based on this play? Uh, and make sure that I too, I look at like mismatches. If we have a personal mismatch, you know, depth, eyes, and leverage, the key defenders on the play, and um, all that kind of formulates into what you're looking at for uh, the play. And it's, it's all pre-snap, it's all quick, and as a quarterback, you got to be able to have that, like, second nature. Obviously, Butch Davis was your head coach at FIU for the last two years. So I'm sure it was a great honor because he's accomplished a lot. What are the biggest yeah. things that you've learned from him and that coaching staff uh, down there at FIU? Yeah, well, you said it. It was an absolute honor to be able to, you know, be under his tutelage. Um, and brought so much uh, to the program. Um, you know, I think the thing that I liked the most about him was he was a real player's coach. He really cared about all of his guys. He had an open-door policy. You come and talk to him many times. Um, and, and that was just awesome. You know, it was awesome to be able to rely on him like that. Um, but just just incredible. Um, you know, I think he did a great job specifically about, like, the traits he gave to us is, uh, inspiring confidence. You know, our motto for a long time was why not us? Um, and, you know, basically saying that, you know, we may be a group of five school, but why not us every single time going out there and being able to compete and win the game? So um, I think that he really inspired us with his confidence, and he was very open to be able to come and talk to him about things that were going on. And, uh, a great resource for me. I'm absolutely uh, blessed to be able to have played under him. Uh, give me your, your favorite Butch, Butch Davis story. <laughs> Uh, my favorite story, you know, he, he definitely had a lot of them. Uh, one that comes to mind is he was uh, with the Cleveland Browns on a game where, uh, and he even showed us the clip, and he was talking about, like, attention to detail. Uh, they had, like, it was a famous game. I don't exactly remember it, but they had uh, got a first down, and then and a player had got a penalty. That's actually why the point he was telling to us is the player got a penalty, with the penalty, they reviewed the play, realized he didn't get a first down, and it was absolute pandemonium. They were throwing, like, beer cans on the field and all that stuff. Uh, so that was pretty, you know, it was pretty funny from the show that the young Bush gave us up on the screen. But I think uh, generally, though, I would say that it almost seemed like every single week he had an experience from his past that was, like, like very, very applicable to the same exact mental scenario that we were going through for that week. So just have that, you know, Experience value, and he could kind of tell us how we should take this game, how we should approach it, how we should think, and that was very uh, helpful for me, certainly, and I think for the rest of the team, too. Awesome. Um, so, what was your was it your dream as a kid to be a quarterback? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I've I've only played quarterback my entire career. Um, I fell in love with football. I fell in love with that position from a, when I was a young kid watching Brett and around in Lambeau. Um, and, you know, I 
I just I love it so much. Awesome. And uh, what's the key to playing the quarterback position? That's a very that's, that's a great question. You know, I think um, there's so much assets that go into it. If I had to choose a couple, uh, I'd say first and foremost, the leader. Um, you know, you need to be somebody who the guys can look up on and can count on and who, you know, works his absolute hardest to be prepared week in and week out, uh, leads by example, as well as, you know, when there's an area of confrontation that needs to be said, the quarterback is the guy to do it. Um, so, like, despite our cost, you know, despite whatever situation is going on, um, and, uh, and yeah, I think, I think ultimately the quarterback lifts his teammates up to be the best potential that they can be. You know, because you interact with me as a quarterback, I'm going to get the best out of you, even if you don't necessarily uh, think that you're capable of doing that. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that I would like to, you know, as a quarterback, do for my teammates. Awesome. Um, so you mentioned watching Brett Favre, but um, yeah. are there any NFL quarterbacks that you watch film on to improve your game? Yeah. Uh, you know, I did a lot last uh, off season. Um, you know, it's, it's great watching Favre, but some of the stuff that he can do uh, uh, form-wise isn't the best, right, but his arm makes up for it. Um, I, I'd say probably the biggest one I watched was Brady and just kind of breaking down, you know, his consistency, um, you know, his technique, and then uh, just kind of the way that he, you know, like read the defense and kind of fit balls and windows and stuff like that and kind of looking at the scheme aspect of it and the technical aspect of it. So uh, probably Tom would be the best one, or the one that I watched the most last year. James, you've been in a lot of big games. Uh, you played at Bowling Green, played at FIU. You started a lot of games. But I'll ask you, yeah. what's the highlight of your career up to this point? What game or, or play comes to mind? Uh, great question. You know, when I think about my career, I think about the relationships I made with my teammates. That's probably the best thing I took away from it. But if I had to talk about a game, I would certainly say the Miami game that we already talked about. Um, just what that meant to the program and for the university. Um, you know, I was incredibly uh, blessed to be a part of that. Uh, another game that comes to mind was against Toledo my redshirt freshman year. Um, I think I had five touchdowns that game, and um, just really that was a, kind of a moment for me where I knew that I could play at college and then I could play in the NFL. I really had the confidence in myself and went out and showed it kind of for the first time on that stage. So uh, probably those two. So um, I noticed that you're from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Are you a Packers fan? Yeah, I grew up my entire life being a Packers fan. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting now because obviously I would <laughs> I would love the opportunity to be drafted by the Packers. It would be, you know, obviously a, a childhood dream come true. But, um, you know, I'm ready with any team. You know, I think as a, as a it's just kind of like a transition, right, from being a fan to, you know, being a, a peer. Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited. You know, I have been a Packers fan my entire life, but whatever organization decides to take a chance on me, I can't wait to go win some games for them. So you talked about watching uh, Brett Favre as a kid. Are you are you a uh, Aaron Rodgers fan as well? Yes, I, I loved him throughout high school too. If you have to pick one quarterback for Green Bay, all right, I'm going <laughs> to put you on the spot. Brett Favre yeah, man, or Aaron Rodgers? Right Come on, you you have to pick one, James. You have to pick one, and why? Oh man, that's that's a tough one. See, I I am, you know, I love Rodgers. I think I got to go with Favre just because of the childhood you know, just hero aspect of it. But, uh, I mean, you can pick either of those guys and you're going to have one heck of a team. 
Well, they've won some core, uh, some Super Bowls like Green Bay, so obviously they've done <laughs> well for true. themselves. A last question. Got some street stand after them. Okay. Uh, yeah, they do. They, they do. What what type yeah. of quarterback would an NFL be, NFL team be getting uh, in James Morgan? Just describe yourself. Uh, yeah. Tell them like what kind of a quarterback will will they be getting? Whoever drafts you out there yeah. in the 2020 NFL draft. Yeah. Well, kind of like I said before, first and foremost, they'd be getting a leader. Um, you know, a guy who inspires all of the people around him to do great, uh, to do great things. Um, they also would be getting a competitor. You know, um, anything that I do, I'm really competitive with. Um, I hate losing. You know, it, it really just doesn't sit right with me. They're getting a guy who's going to compete his tail off, uh, whatever position he's in, to make the team and to, you know, go out and play. You know, and that's something that, I've, like I said, has been my dream, and I'm going to compete my tail off to help our team win. Um, more than that, you know, like we talked about before, you're going to get a guy who absolutely just loves the game of football. Um, this has been my dream. Uh, since a little kid, this has been something that I've done every day with such a passion and vigor, and uh, I think that's why I work so hard at it because I absolutely love it. And uh, no better feeling on Sundays soon to be uh, to go out and be able to you know dice up a defense touchdown passes. There's absolutely nothing like it, and uh, because of that, I'm in love with the game, and um, I'm going to work my absolute tail off harder than anybody else to be able to go out and be prepared for the game and uh, win some games. So um, you're going to get a leader, a competitor, and a who just loves football. Awesome. Uh, great answers out there. James, uh, thanks for joining us on the show, and good luck to you the rest of the way. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you guys having me on. Right. Yeah, thanks a lot, James. Uh, we're back. Uh, we're talking about the NFL playoffs, Ted. And we let's let's recap the, the wild card weekend because it was really wild. Two games went into overtime. Uh, we saw the Titans uh, beat the New England Patriots, the unbeatable New England Patriots. I don't think you and I thought that it was going to happen. Nobody saw it coming. But Mike Rabel, the ex-Patriots assistant, was able to outsmart Bill Belichick. And uh, uh, let's start with that game. I mean, I didn't think that Derrick Henry was going to run for 180-plus rushing yards in that game. You would think that Bill Belichick would try to take away their best weapon, and that just didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, I remember listening to to you kind of on the podcast on Blitzcast number eighty nine, and you were talking about the key that Derrick Henry is, and that the you know the Titans needed him to be a hundred percent, and he was a hundred percent in this game. He had a great game, and um, you know Tennessee, no one was really giving them a chance. I I, I wasn't on record of saying this, but I would have picked the Patriots. I picked the Patriots to win the Super Bowl, and I mean. It just this was a weekend full of surprises, and especially that intercept, that late interception by the Titans, you know, in the in the in the Patriots zone. I mean, that totally shocked me. It was almost like it was almost like I was quiet. I was stunned when that happened. Yeah, I guess the the major question right now surrounds Tom Brady. Is he going to return? And what's going to happen to the Patriots? Many people believe that their dynasty is over. Well, we'll, we'll see what happens there. I mean. We've seen the Patriots bounce back before, but the major question mark, will Brady return or not? Um, The the Titans, let's talk about the Tennessee Titans. They're going to play versus the Ravens. The Ravens, the number one seed in the AFC. Do the Tennessee Titans have a shot here? You know, I think the Ravens have been just way too good this year. I mean, Lamar Jackson has just been absolutely on fire. 
I mean, he's just he, he. I mean, you said it last last podcast. The way the kind of season he's had, he's pretty much the front runner for the NFL and for the for the NFL MVP. I mean, he's 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 really he's really the ultimate dual threat quarterback. I mean, the fact is, is that he can run and he's hard to catch when he's running. Um, you know, he's got great moves when he runs. He's got a great agility. He's got great speed. I mean, he runs like a four 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 five speed, and then. You know he, he he and he can throw in the pocket too when he needs to throw in the pocket on third down and third and seven he can deliver it in the pocket and so um, it, it's really just it, it's hard for teams to scheme for Lamar Jackson. Yeah, the Ravens, according to Bovada, they're minus ten at home versus the Titans, and I just I don't anticipate that the Ravens are going to allow Derrick Henry to rush over 100-plus yards in this game. And they've got Marcus Peters that can match up against A.J. Brown on the outside. I just think the Ravens match up really, really well against the Tennessee Titans. And the Cinderella story, which it is, a number six seed with Brian Tannehill and Derrick Henry. This this has been a a feel-good story. And, Ed, you nailed it. You said the Tennessee Titans were going to make the playoffs. And it just, it wasn't behind Marcus Mariota. It turned out they had to get Ryan Tannehill in there, and here you are. You got one right. Yeah, I mean, Tennessee, Tennessee's been a tough team towards the end. I mean, they're, you know, Tannehill has been one of the biggest surprises of 2019-2020 season. I mean, when you talk about, we talk about the fact that he was basically dumped by the Dolphins, and now he's, now he's really the guy in, in Tennessee, and I mean, he, he could, he could lead them deep into the playoffs if, I mean, you know, one win, and then you start saying he, he led them deep into the playoffs, and that you know this is this is a guy who a lot of people gave up on. Well, he's definitely going to resign with with Tennessee, and he's going to be back. Let's talk about the other AFC wild card game. The Buffalo Bills jumped out uh, and just had the lead, and everything was going right. That that defense was playing at, at an all time high. It was just. Everything was going well for the Buffalo Bills. And then in the second half, it was basically Bill O'Brien giving Deshaun Watson the freedom and saying, hey, run with it, throw with it, whatever you want to call, just just do it. Lead us back. And it seems like DeAndre Hopkins got on fire. And what can you say? I mean, Deshaun Watson led that comeback against the Buffalo Bills that went into overtime, and, and they won by, by three points. Well, what did you think about that comeback? I mean, I, I I thought the Texans still played a, played good 60 minutes of football. They they weren't leading at the beginning, but they they still have a good team. I mean, Deshaun Watson, I totally underestimated the quarterback he would be in this league, and um, I thought they I thought they just played in a good all around game. But uh, you know, I I just don't I just don't think I don't think Buffalo really I don't know if they they really have the the sort of experience like the Texans do. To win those big games, I just I think I think if if it came down to one X factor, it was that the Texans had been there before and the Bills hadn't. Well, obviously, according to Bovada, Bovada has the Chiefs at home as the favorites, minus nine and a half versus the Texans. But you know what? In the wild card game, I thought J.J. Watt was a big time spark for that defense. He made a few plays. Um, he's just he was around the place. He was around Josh Allen. He was making him uncomfortable out there. He made that sack. I thought having J.J. Watt back, who is the heart and soul of that Houston Texans defense, was was huge. Obviously, you and I 
don't think that the Texans are going to advance against the Chiefs, right? We both like the Chiefs. But I like the Chiefs winning this game. But I mean, if I if I'm going to bet on Bavada, I mean, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to take I'm going to take the Texans because I want the points. I mean, I, I feel like nine and a half is no respect for for Patrick for not for Patrick Mahomes for Deshaun Watson. So let's let's switch gears. Let's talk about the NFC and the Vikings, a number six seed at home versus the New Orleans Saints, where Drew Brees has been unbeaten. It's just in the dome. This was his game, and it was just his place. And the New Orleans Saints were supposed to run away with it, Ed, and that's not what happened. The only spark that we saw was Taysom Hill giving the New Orleans Saints a spark, whether it was running with the football or throwing the football. Drew Brees looked like a regular quarterback, and it's amazing. Tom Brady is going home, and Drew Brees is going home as well. The Minnesota Vikings, another team that surprised a lot of people last weekend. Yeah, and I think I think I mean you know we want to talk about we're going to talk about Kirk Cousins winning his first big game, but you really have to hand it to Minnesota's defense for really curbing the Saints' offense. I mean, the Saints have so many weapons between Kamara and Michael Thomas, and you know obviously Drew Brees and Taysom Hill. It's just you know, for them for them to hold them to that few points in a playoff game, uh, you know, on the road, I mean, I, you have to hand it to the to the Vikings defense. Obviously, the Vikings are going to face my Niners in the divisional playoff, and according to Bovada, the 49ers are the favorites here, minus seven at home, which is not a big surprise because they're in number one seed in the NFC. But you know what, Ed? I'm worried. Because Jimmy Garoppolo has never been here before. I realize that that defense is going to come after Kirk Cousins and, and that defensive line is going to do fine. But I am extremely worried. The Minnesota Vikings are a really dangerous team. Well, you know, I, I think I think there might be some of that sort of bias in there. Sometimes your favorite team, you, you sort of think, you sort of worry more about your favorite team. And I think that's what you have there. I mean, the San Francisco 49ers have proven it all year round that they can win big games. They won that game against the Seahawks, you know, for the for the first seed. So um, I'm actually I'm actually a big believer in the 49ers. I think they're going to make a deep playoff run. Well, I'm, I'm hoping for that. Uh, they're at home, and obviously that, that home atmosphere is, is going to play a part in it. Adam Thielen is questionable right now, and the Vikings need him because he's a huge weapon. They've got Kyle Rudolph. They've got you know Stephon Diggs, and Dalvin Cook is back running the football. And if the Vikings can establish the run, that's one dangerous team. I, I really am worried. Uh, let's talk about the final wild card game. Carson Wentz went down. It looked like the Eagles were... If Carson Wentz would have stayed in the game, I think the Eagles would have beaten the Seattle Seahawks. And that's that's preposterous. I mean, with all those injuries that they've had throughout the season. Uh, but the Seahawks survived. And it was just 17-9, to Ed. I mean, it was just... I expected more out of the Seattle Seahawks, to be honest with you. Do the Seahawks have a shot against the Green Bay Packers? Because it's Lambeau Field, and you know that's going to be a tough environment in the divisional playoff game. This is my bold prediction of the weekend. I think the Seahawks upset the Packers in Lambeau Field this week. I think, I think I, you know, obviously obviously the Packers are, are favored, but I, I'm, I'm going to take the points, and I'm, gonna, I'm actually even going to say the Seahawks are going to win straight up. 
I'm also taking the Seahawks. And Bovada has the Packers minus four at home versus the Seahawks. But I like the Seahawks. Russell Wilson has done it before. Um, he's gone into Lambeau Field in the playoffs, and he's gotten he's gotten those key wins. I think Pete Carroll is going to have that team motivated, especially after you know having a lackluster performance in the wild card round. Um, obviously, that defense only allowed nine points, but it was to an injury-riddled Eagles team. They need a big game from Russell Wilson, and they have to be able to run the football. I'm also taking the Seahawks, Ed. So you and I are taking the 49ers. We're taking the Ravens. We're taking the Chiefs. The only team where we're going with the upset is the Seattle Seahawks. We believe that they'll be representing the NFC Championship game. I just think Russell Wilson is great. And he's going to prove that against the Packers. The only thing that the Seahawks have to do is they have to stay. They have to stop Aaron Jones. And it's crazy for saying that because Aaron Rodgers has been the face of that franchise for the past decade. And I'm saying we, we, <laughs> the Seattle Seahawks need to stop the run because Aaron jo- Jones has been the most the the number one weapon for, for the Packers down the stretch here. Yeah, I mean he's he's kind All of. Right, a, let's, all right. I mean, I, mean, I was just going to say ahead. Aaron Jones is kind of a surprise. I mean, he, he kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, I think he was a late draft pick, and it was kind of the year the the Packers were kind of desperate for running backs, right? Yeah, they, they've they've been trying to find that guy, and and they they found one in in Aaron Jones. When he's been healthy, he's been able to get the job done. And it's crazy that this year the Packers have been relying more and more on the running game than their, their passing game with Aaron Rodgers. Ed, let, let's get to head coaches, talking about them. They've been three hires currently in the NFL um, that you and I haven't talked about. Let, let's start with the Giants, kind of going with the surprise hire because nobody saw this coming. Who is this Joe Judge, Ed? Who is this guy? Tell us about him. And I know you're excited because you think the Giants might have hit a home run here. Well, I mean, when you talk about two hirings ago when Ben McAdoo showed up at his first press conference and didn't have a suit that fit him right, and now, you know, and then there was Pat Shermer who, you know, was a good coordinator with the Vikings, and now now, now you've got a guy who comes from the Belichick and Saban coaching tree. He's never been a head coach has been a kindergarten PE teacher. Um, <laughs> this guy was about as confident uh, in, in his press conference as I've ever heard. Um, <clears throat> he talked about going back to the fundamentals. He talked about just having the right attitude. He had a very logical answer to every question. Um, you know, I, 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 <clears throat> I was listening to Sirius XM and callers came in and they said, I, you know, I've been a Broncos fan, blah, blah, blah for so long, and all of a sudden they said, you know what, I'm a Giants fan, because this guy is just magnetic. He's 38 years old. He's from Philadelphia. He has coached at Alabama under Nick Saban as a special teams coach. He's been with the Patriots. He's coached the wide receivers this year, but he's mostly been a special teams coach. And he's spent eight years with the New England Patriots. You know, there's a few things. Bill Belichick has mentioned Joe Judge before this. He has praised him. And he I know he's behind this hire because he believes Judge is going to be a really good head coach. A head coach has to be a leader of men. And if 
judge the way he conducted himself in that press conference, if he can have that type of effect on the team and on those players, they the, the Giants hit a home run. They've got Daniel Jones at quarterback. They've got Saquon Barkley at running back. They need to fix that defense, and I think that's going to be the key. They need to bring in an experienced defensive coordinator. If they do that, you know, there's there's Wade Phillips out there. He, he's been let go. Wade Phillips is out there waiting in the wings, a, a possibility for this New York Giants, you know, defense. And they don't have to switch to a 3-4. They've got the personnel there. I think the the Giants might have found something. Another young coach who is charismatic and who looks like a, a leader of men. And the special teams coach, Ed, I mean, it works for the Baltimore Ravens. They hired John Harbaugh as a special teams coach for the Philadelphia Eagles, and look what he's done there. He's won a Super Bowl. He's led them to a number one seed in the AFC this year. So um, I'm behind this hire as well. You you just you found your guy. You believe in him, and nobody knew who Joe Judge was a couple of days ago. Yeah, and I mean, you know, this is only going to work if they get good coordinators. So I agree with you. I mean, this isn't a guy who has experience play calling, but so didn't Harbaugh when he when he took the job. But I mean, this is a guy who's coached wide receivers, he's coached linebackers, he's coached special teams, so he has it all in all areas of the game, but. You know, he's, he's never really been an offensive or a defensive play caller, so he's going to need a guy who's going to have a, have, have a good offensive and defensive system for this to work. So, um, I mean, we'll talk about it in earlier, but, I mean, maybe a guy that they might look into and there's been some speculation and a lot of talk about Jason Garrett. I mean, maybe he might be the offensive coordinator for uh, Daniel Jones. Let's go with the Dallas Cowboys, another – NFC East team, they had to hit a home run. And Jerry Jones decided to pick Mike McCarthy as his head coach. I don't understand this backlash. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who believe it's a little bit of an upgrade over Jason Garrett, but not much. But you look at his record, Ed. I mean, Mike McCarthy is, has 125 wins, 77 losses, two ties, 60%. 60% winning percentage. He's 10-8 and eight in the playoffs. He led the Packers to a 15-1 and one record. He's led them to the Super Bowl. There's some kind of a enigma out here that Mike McCarthy was lucky because he had Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback, but I mean, he lasted for 13 seasons with the Green Bay Packers. He was doing something right. Before that, he was offensive coordinator for the 49ers. I like this hire. I just, I've seen a lot of people, for some reason kind of not be thrilled about it. But this is definitely an upgrade over Jason Garrett. I mean, Mike McCarthy shouldn't have been fired in Green Bay. I mean, I, I know that Matt LaFleur did a good job with Aaron Rodgers, but Mike McCarthy had a great 12-year career with the Green Bay Packers. He won them a Super Bowl. You know, he made them competitive for a lot of years. And, um, you know, he was he was, he was was the guy coaching Aaron Rodgers. So um, the fact is, is that I think the Cowboys – you know, I think Jason Garrett was a good hire. It ended up not being working out, but I think Mike McCarthy is 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 an upgrade over Jason Garrett. I would say this is a big time upgrade, man. He was one of the best head coaches out there on the market, and in my opinion, Jerry Jones got this one right. And uh, I think he's got a ton of things to work with. He's been studying uh, one year away from the game. He's got Dak Prescott. He's got Ezekiel Elliott. He's got a great offensive line. I think they have to fix that defense a bit, um, but I think they'll be able to do that. I, I like the Mike McCarthy uh, hiring. 
Another head coach got hired, this one coming from the college ranks, Ed, and Matt Rule has been linked to the New York Giants job. They talked about him for the Dallas Cowboys, but he surfaces with the Carolina Panthers, and he got $60 million for a guy who's only been an assistant offensive line coach under Tom Coughlin with the New York Giants for one year. But this guy's got a good resume in college, though. He turned around a Temple program. He was there for three years. He turned them into a winning program. He went to Baylor. This program was 1-11. We all know what he did with them this year. He led them to a top-10 ranking. Um, do you like this hire? Do you think he's got a lot of question marks? Because, I mean, Carolina has got to decide what to do a quarterback. Well, I, I think I think Ron Rivera was a better was a better way to go for them, but um, I mean he's an intriguing name. I, I haven't seen a lot of college coaches. I mean we've seen Nick Saban fail at the NFL level. Um, you know this guy has done everything right at the college level. You know fixing up programs. Uh, you know he had a great year with Baylor. Um, I think he's well regarded. Obviously, they gave him the money because they they not only liked him but they believed in him. Um, I think he's you know in the sixty seventy million dollar range. So um, this is this is something that uh, the Panthers feel really good about. I think this is David Tepper, who's the new owners. Uh, you know, I think this is this is the guy he wanted. Well, it's it's going to be interesting to see because a lot of the times college coaches don't work out. Uh, but we've seen some of them succeed. I mean, the one that comes to mind, the famous college coach that succeeded was Jimmy Johnson when he led the Dallas Cowboys to uh, two Super Bowl in the 1990s. But Saban wasn't successful. Steve Spurrier wasn't successful. So for all those people that are saying, hey, we want Urban Meyer, we want Lincoln Riley, you know what? Hold off on that. Just because you've been a successful college coach doesn't mean that you're going to be a successful NFL coach. But the Panthers have a major question mark at quarterback. Kyle Allen isn't the guy. They're drafting seventh overall, but they've got a couple of teams ahead of them that are in the QB market that are looking at Tua, that are looking at Justin Herbert, like the Miami Dolphins out there, like the San Diego Chargers. So will Carolina be in play for that first-round quarterback? I'm not so sure. What happens with Cam Newton? Now that Ron Rivera is gone, are they going to bring him back? It's all going to be interesting to see how Cam Newton recovers or not. Let's talk about one final topic, Ed, the Cleveland Browns. We seem to always talk about them on every show. I talked about Baker Mayfield a couple of weeks ago, and now we're talking about they need to find that head coach. Obviously, they got rid of one. They got rid of their GM. They're in the market for a head coach. They need to get this one right because they've been through thousands of head coaches by now. They just they haven't got one right for, for a long, long time. So give me a couple of candidates that you believe are the front runners right now. Well, I think I think the safest pick would be Jason Garrett. Um, I think they, I think I think uh, Robert Saleh would probably be what, who I would like, um, and then obviously the, the, def- the defensive coordinator for the, for the San Francisco 49ers. 49ers. Yeah, I think that would be. How the about best. Josh McDaniels? How about Josh McDaniels, who uh, who obviously it, it didn't work out with the Colts job. He he backed away from that job in 2018. Do you think Josh McDaniels would? would be a good hire for the Cleveland Browns. Well, remember what people were saying about about Josh McDaniels when he, he stepped out of the Indianapolis Colts job. I mean, it was almost like, you know, is he blackballed from ever being a head coach in the NFL? 
I think I think what happened was is I think Josh McDaniels has done enough to really impress the Patriots and Bob Kraft, and I think when Belichick wants to hang it up, uh, Belichick's on the older side of things. I think they told Josh McDaniels that he'll get the Patriots job, and I think he wants to continue that legacy. So I I don't I don't I think I think the Browns might want Josh McDaniels, but I don't think Josh McDaniels is leaving New England. Give me a couple of more candidates out there. Yeah, give me a couple of more names. Um, I guess. How about Jim Schwartz? How about Jim Schwartz? I, 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 I mean, people are talking about. I mean, Jim Schwartz has already done it, though, and I mean, he he's he hasn't. I, I didn't think I didn't think he was particularly great. Well, he wasn't a great head coach with the Detroit Lions, but the fact that the Eagles didn't kept plugging in and that people kept going down and he just seemed to push the right buttons and he's been a very good defensive coordinator for years he brings that fiery brand of football and I think that's what the Browns want I'll give you one more name who I believe is actually the front runner and this is why the the Browns haven't been so quick to to pull the trigger I think it's Kevin Stefanski uh, the offensive coordinator for the for the Minnesota Vikings. There were a lot of rumors last year that there were few people in the front office that believed that he was the better candidate than Freddie Kitchens. They went with Freddie Kitchens because he was with the Browns. But look what he's done for your boy Case Keenum in 2017. Now he's rebuilt the unit with Kirk Cousins and Dalvin Cook. And it's just, he looks like a young, proven offensive mind with with some background out there. I think Stefanski Stefanski is one of the the up-and-coming offensive coordinators that, that that's bound to get a head coaching job, whether it's this year or next year. He just he seems to be a hot coaching candidate out there, and that's what I, I believe that the Cleveland Browns are waiting for him, Ed. Yeah, well, the interesting thing is, is this year there haven't been a lot of hires that were top coordinators. I mean, have you kind of noticed that? I mean, I don't think I don't think in any of these new coaching hires these guys were top coordinators. They were all head coaches somewhere else, or they were head coaches – for college teams, or they or, or they're yeah, posi- or they're a position coach. Joe Judge was a position coach. So we're we're waiting for an offensive or defensive coordinator. I think Stefanski might be one of those guys, or maybe it's Robert Sala, the the defensive coordinator of the 49ers. Again, the Browns need to get it right, but I do think they need to repair and get an offensive coach in there that's going to be able to to get Baker Mayfield right. Who struggle in his second year. This was uh, Blitzcast number 90. I'm Alex. He was Ed. Thank you for listening.